we're like a month away from October. Do you guys, I know Thomas, you're kind of making your list of stuff. Do you guys have list of stuff that you're doing of like movies you should watch in October for fall or at least for fall? Uh, I've been slacking. I haven't started that yet. <laughs> How dare you, David? I've just been clocking like all year. Cause, cause I, uh, do shutter just for the month october. of october every yeah. year and and so then i spend i spend the rest of my year like anytime i see like a shutter exclusive pop-up or something i'm like all right well, that'll be for october, october. there we go <laughs> so that's that's actually that it came up i was just talking to someone about dystopian month uh this week and he was like oh you guys should do mad god and i was like yeah that's that's on the list for <laughs> for that's a shutter exclusive that's on the list for october yeah, i've heard good things about mad god it looks crazy because um, that came out yeah, it came out a few years ago. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, it's on Shutter. Yeah, it's like there's certain movies like and there and sometimes I'm sure you have like it's kinda like Tubi and Pluto where you just have like weird like just like kind of they somehow got on the service and they don't look great, but they're there. Like, I think Fade to Black was mm-hmm. that way when we watched it on Shutter. was that on Shutter? Right? Are you saying are you saying Fade to Black's not great? No, Fade to Black is great. I'm saying like the look <laughs> okay. the, the look the look of it is like it looks like a VHS Yeah. That was like every any anytime a, a streaming service popped up with the house that stream that screamed up until this last 4K restoration, like I, I saw some bad ones pop up on like Amazon Prime yeah. before. I was like, ooh, this looks miserable. Yeah, I had a conversation with the guy at the video store because he was like trying to get it. He's like, Yeah, every for house that screamed, he's like, every place I look, it's just it looks bad. I was like, Yeah, it does. Like there's like versions of where it's on YouTube. There's versions where it's through like the Elvira's um, mm-hmm. like a uh, TV show. Um, so it's like, Oh, I watched some speaking of Elvira uh, <laughs> r- real quick uh, sidetrack. I was visiting my parents this weekend, which gave me the opportunity to watch cable television, which I don't, I don't have often <laughs> as a, as an experience. And I was just scrolling through and I guess, uh, you know, WGN, which is the Chicago yeah. network that's broadcast uh, glo- uh, nationwide shows still has like Spinguli, which is their like local uh, oh, horror host. Really? They still t- they still do it. It's the same guy. He's been doing it since like 1977. <laughs> and I just sat and watched one. It's just such a wild experience. Like no, Joe Bob Briggs, you know, still kind of does it for Shudder, yeah. but like wild that they're still just like broadcasting that on tv was there like a horror film that y'all remember like watching on cable for the first time just like coming in like in the middle of it uh i do i do remember sitting down and and i used to put on sci-fi a lot and so a lot of movies i saw through the sci-fi channel but i specifically like the one time i like put one on and i was like man i wish i had seen this one from the beginning was the um um, um, the name of it's slipping me right now. It's the John Goodman one where he owns the theater. Matt, Matt, and they're like Matt showing. The, oh, that's Matt a great movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dante's. Yeah. I I ended up like going to Blockbuster and like renting it like <laughs> after that day because I was like, oh, I need to see this whole thing. Yeah, I, I can't think of any because I was pretty I was pretty much a stickler. Like I would look in the TV guide to make sure I was going to um. start it when it started. <laughs> but uh, I do remember there was one October, you know, I was pretty young and I started to watch Halloween mm-hmm. and it was just that opening shot of the pumpkin. Yeah. And I was like, no, nope, I think I'll come back next year. I'm, I'm a little too scared. <laughs> Give it a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, so I came back the next year. Like a movie that <laughs> I always remember like jumping in at weird places was Tremors. And I don't know mm. why. Like, like Tremor- TBS was always showing yeah, Tremors, I feel like. Yeah. Like, I don't think I saw the beginning of that movie till like, I was, like, in my 20s. 
is the thing. Like I never saw the beginning of that film. I, I honestly, I, I realized the other day a friend of mine went to Savannah and he was talking about like the Forrest Gump bench not being there. What? And and he was like, <laughs> he was like, yeah, they moved it like into the into like a museum or something. It's not like in <sighs> okay, the okay, square that anymore. That makes more sense. That makes more sense. It should be a museum. But he was like, yeah. And then we went toward this one house and like this is where they shot like the first shot of the movie. And I, I had a moment. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen Forrest Gump from like. <laughs> the first shot like i've seen forrest gump at least 25 times but yeah. always on tv like i don't think i've yeah. ever sat down and like put on a copy of forrest gump in my entire life i can get you a copy i got <laughs> copies. i've seen the rest of it and, and then they were like oh no it's the feather floating and i was like huh i always i always kind of wondered why that feather showed up at the end but i guess that uh, i guess that makes sense <laughs> you're just like what a weird ending of this movie <laughs> where that feather come decades? from Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, anyway, I have no segue to our final topic, our final movie for this Onto month. Onto a movie I have seen from start to finish. <laughs> Multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, first off, I'm Brand Sparks. I'm Thomas Horton. I'm Dougal in the fourth. And this is a Nation Podcast. And it's a trio episode today. Mm-hmm. We've only done it once. Uh, and that was for a Patreon that ended up being on the main show. But the main reason why was because for today... Both of you had this on on your short list because it was almost like if we did this dystopian month, we kind of had to talk about this movie because yeah, it's you gotta like, do this one. It's one of the biggest ones of the past twenty five years, and we're talking about Mad Max Fury Road today as the final kind of climactic moment of the dystopian series. Before we do that, I've had both of you on twice, um, and so what have we talked about with the dystopian month? So Thomas, let you go first. What have we talked about from your perspective? Kind of the main things. Well, we've we've kind of distinguished between whether they're kind of like post-apocalyptic or pre-apocalyptic, uh, you know, with something like Children of Men, where like the the apocalypse is looming, and um, and I think this is probably the most post-apocalyptic of anything we've covered. That's kind of the the point of this, and we'll talk about where it sits within the franchise. But like through the Mad Max franchise, you've kind of watched the world go to shit, and this one is like as deep into it as 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 we've gotten. Um, mm-hmm. But without like a whole lot of backstory, you know, we talked about the idea of like there's really like one thing you can blame for whatever the rise of this dystopia is, whether it's mm-hmm. like a, a, a specific fascist government coming into power or a specific technology rising up and someone having control of it. And with this one, we're just kind of dropped right into it, which I think we'll talk about uh, mm-hmm. kind of the exposition of this movie. But uh, as far as kind of the it it. it kind of banks on you having seen the other ones but it also doesn't yeah which i think is part of the brilliance of it but as far as you know giving us the the lore into this dystopia and, and this apocalypse uh we don't, we don't get a whole lot of it from this movie but you you can pick it up from context clues yeah and then for david because we covered kind of two different movies with you with Waterworld and matrix what's kind of stuff that we talked about with our kind of episodes yeah, it's interesting on this watch. I, I noticed how how much this uh, like parallels with Waterworld. It's really fascinating. Mm. Um, but yeah. yeah, and I'm sure that's going to tie into it with what you said on the on the Waterworld episode. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think this idea of like multiple factions, you know, warring over what's left of the world, um, you know, like kind of what Tom's talking about. You have like a new society, a new government, kind of taking over. In this case, you have a tyrannical leader of with the Morton Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and then you kind of want to see you kind of it kind of shows this like. Re- building rebellion within the uh within the community in this movie so. yeah because i know with like children of men we kind of have in, in a way those kind of a faction popping up 
Waterworld, different communities. Um, I think also too a lot of this with this genre that I wasn't expecting as much was like how like the thematic element of it all, where a lot of these movies are kind of warnings of what's to come if we don't change our ways, if that makes sense. Like Waterworld is mm. kind of talking about the environmental aspects of it and the kind of consumption with the matrix. It was kind of technology with seconds. It was about like in a way could argue like capitalism and kind of the, 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 the lie of the American dream. Um, and I think also too, one thing I've noticed with some of these movies too, is there's except seconds, weirdly enough, I, I thought a lot of them have this like, by the end, this underlying theme of hope mm-hmm. of hope within this society and maybe a new society within the site was got kind of brought up, which we'll see today in Mad Max Fury Road. Um, so that, that's a lot of, I think, again, thematic elements that I didn't think were, I didn't really notice at, at play as much originally when watching them separately. But now all together, you start seeing these things pop up as these warnings for audiences like, oh, this is what could happen if we don't change the course in some way. And Mad mm-hmm. Max is, might not deal with that as much, but it's still kind of present within the movie uh, in a way. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, not there. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> not there. Exactly. And I appreciate um, they don't beat you over the head with it. You know, it's, it's, yeah. they, they deliver what you're going into for a Mad Max movie, but then they also give you a little bit extra. I mean, it's, again, funny talking about Waterworld is like, I think Mad Max is kind of the perfect version of what Waterworld could have been where <laughs> it's this very stripped down version of the movie where it's a pure kind of action film with other things at play. Um, so yeah, so with Mad Max Free Road, it was released in 2015, May of 2015, directed by George Miller, written by George Miller, Brennan McCarthy, Nico Lotharis, and uh, produced by Doug Mitchell, George Miller, and PJ Voten, who's also, I think, the assistant director. It stars Tom Hardy as Max, uh, Mac Rakatansky. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, think I, think I think it's the first movie where they actually credit him, like full name I, I read. I don't know how true that is. Um, but we follow Max as he joins forces with Furiosa, uh, who is kind of rising up against her cult leader in Morton Joe and his army. And they're trying to they're trying to find the green place is what it is. So it's basically a long car chase to the green place where Max and Furiosa are being chased by Morton Joe and his army basic thing and Furios has taken Joe's five was it five wives I think it's five yeah. wives yeah. Uh, his his ultimate breeders is what I think was said at one point in in the movie um so yeah so I know we've all seen this multiple times and mm-hmm. I think in some cases we've all seen it multiple times in theaters so mm-hmm. first off Thomas what's your history with this movie uh well, we I was I was just thinking about this the other day. You weren't you didn't come with us that first. I didn't come with you. Night, I know right? exactly. Yeah. No, no, I, I know exactly where I was at for the first and it, one. And it and it's so funny to me to think about this because now, uh, so when this movie first came out, it was mixed for Dolby Atmos, which was like brand new technology at the time. Yeah. And the only two Atmos systems in L.A. were the Dolby Theater and the School Theater at USC. And so because of that, we got like a special screening of it that was the night of the premiere, like at the exact same time it was premiering on the red carpet. We got to see it. There were like guards there with like night vision goggles to like make sure nobody's leaked anything. (laughs) And it's funny to me now because there's like a a Dolby or there's an Atmos like five minutes away from my house right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But we so we went in. There were no early 
reviews of it no like nobody knew anything about it yet it was the night of the premiere and the trailer was very cryptic and everyone was kind of skeptical like does do we need another mad max movie do we need one without mel gibson like and i i just remember when we walked out of it euthana turned to me and said i don't because there aren't any reviews i don't know if i'm allowed to like that movie as much as i did (laughs) and i was like And I was like, you're allowed to like it, you know, however yeah. you do. But like it was, you know, no, it, there was zero hype. I mean, there was hype, but it, it wasn't like what it became, you yes. know, as 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 the movie went on. So it was it was a really cool experience to kind of get to see it completely fresh that way. But, yeah, it's like as you're sitting in it and it's just like absolutely batshit crazy. And you're yeah. just like, I don't know what to make of this, but I'm having a great time. And that's yeah. just kind of what you walk away with the first time. And David, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I saw it opening weekend in, in 3D, but I was actually working at the theater, so I lucked out I didn't have to work that Friday, so I saw it that night, uh-huh. and it was one of those rare, well, like like Thomas was talking about, I was definitely skeptical. I was a huge fan of the Road Warrior growing up and the trilogy as a whole, and I was like, Tom Hardy is Max? What's happening? Even though I liked Tom <laughs> Hardy at the time, but I, I just, you know, I couldn't picture it, but like seeing that movie, man, it, it's one of those rare experiences where I was like, I immediately want to watch this again. Yeah, I just remember sitting there. I saw, I sat through the entire credits and I was like, I just, I just want to watch this again. And yeah, I mean, I've seen it countless times since. I saw it at a midnight screening a couple of years ago at the New Art, which was awesome to see mm-hmm. with a with a crowd. You know, late way past you know years later after it came out. So, but yeah, I mean, I love this movie, man. It's 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 everything. It's awesome. Yeah, Thomas and I also saw Midnight at the New Art. Like a yeah, year. that was that was like towards the end of it. It was still yeah. out in theaters, but it was towards the end of its theatrical run. It was like they, nine like nine months after I think is what it was. Like yeah, nine, yeah, yeah. And the seventy millimeter print had made its way back into back to the new art, and it was it was rough. It was not it a was great. Rough. It was not. It had been. It had been. Uh, it had been well loved. Uh, it was there's was that that long green line on the side that just yeah. ran the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I just, I just remember this 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 uh this girl was in front of me just high as a kite. And she turned to me and was just like looking at me. And I looked at her, like gave her a nod and she just kept looking at me and she's like, Hey, and I was like, hi. She's like, how many times have you seen this? I've always seen it one oh, time. Yeah. I want to say one time she goes, you've only seen it one time. <laughs> and I go, yeah, she goes, I've seen it eight times. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm happy for you. And she was just like, yeah, I love it. And I'm like, okay me too (laughs) me too that's why i'm here and and but like she just wouldn't see like and like her her like her boyfriend came up and her friends came up and i was just like this is really awkward and they're like hey how's it going like they know me i was like i don't know y'all why just go watch the movie um no my first experience (laughs) somewhere to kind of all did you guys see it in in 3d though no i did not see Mm. it in 3d i never saw it in 3d i I will I might have. I can't remember if that. that I might have. But go ahead. I will David. say this is one of the like rare movies where the 3D actually like some added to it somewhat. I mean, I don't think there's any issue not seeing it in 3D. But during all that like post conversion phase, yeah. this is one of those movies I saw in 3D. I was like, oh, actually, that was really worth it. Especially that shot, you know, when the when uh, Nux sac- spoiler Nux sacrifices himself and the wheel like flies out the screen. Yeah, uh, and the, the guitar. Comes yeah, the out. guitar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like there was that- shots clearly designed for it. 3D will come into play in the making of this movie, by the way. I just want you all to know. Uh, yeah, the first time I saw it, it's sim- I, I knew Thomas had seen it, and I knew they, like, the next day I was like, well, I have to go see it, because uh, I went to, like, a matinee uh, in the Westwood at, at the Fox Village Theater, because that was the only, that was one of the only theaters, like, as Thomas was saying, that had Dolby Atmos. And I went to, like, a like 4 p.m. matinee, maybe. At this point, I was already seeing people 
on Facebook that I knew in Atlanta who like saw it as a matinee and they're just like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I was like coming into it like in less 24 hours, seeing the hype kind of build up basically. And it was weird because it was a mostly empty theater at the village and that's a very big theater. So uh, I sat there again, going in blindly besides kind of the hype, the little bit of the hype I was seeing. And I came out and I was just like, holy shit, that was great. Like driving on the roads after watching this movie, was like <laughs> not the best decision because you're so like just amped up. Your adrenaline is so amped up that like you feel like you want to just like drive crazy. And I remember just getting my car like, oh, my, how can I drive and like be calm after watching this movie? And then like kind of it, it, it became a fan favorite after it came out, which is very interesting because it we'll talk about the kind of box office reception of this, but like it, it had this kind of cult almost immediately that really carried over throughout probably until like the Oscars and everything as we'll talk about mm-hmm. that later. Um, but it was just pretty much immediately was seen by people as one of the best action movies of all time. And I remember Thomas at one point texted me talking about like the, idea of like a like two sequence or like very like kind of a one sequence type action movie where it was like this and john wick where it's like very kind of like similar of like one goal kind of in mind mm-hmm. and not a lot happens besides action um yeah and you, get, you get dropped the same like, time. get dropped right into the world from the get-go and then it's just like we're just in it yeah exactly um but yeah so let's dive into kind of the history of how this movie gets to production because it's a long winding road basically of how this movie comes to be. So in 1985, the third installment of the Mad Max series, Mad Max beyond Thunderdome was released and director and creator of the series, George Miller had felt he had put the series to bed. He said that it was difficult making the third Max movie because his producing partner and co-creator of the series, uh, Byron Kennedy had died tragically in a helicopter crash, at the age of 33 and Miller actually brought on his friend, George, Oglevy to co-direct Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome with him. Miller stated that he had a lot on his play at the time, but it also was because he was still grieving the loss of Kennedy uh, when making the movie. So he needed kind of someone else to kind of rely upon for it. And when the third film came out, it was released to positive reviews, made a little bit of money at the box office. So Miller saw it as a good way to go out. But one day, by some accounts, as early as 1987, but I think it might have happened in late 90s and 1998, George Miller was crossing a busy Los Angeles intersection, and he came up with the idea for a movie that would be one long extended car chase. And Miller stated that not long after that he, he experienced kind of that thought, he was traveling from L.A. to Australia, and on that flight, he came up with the, the plot of the movie. And he said it would be about violent marauders who were fighting, not for oil or for material goods, but for human beings. And after he got off the plane, uh, he called up his new producing partner, Doug Mitchell, and said, I think I have a new idea for a Mad Max movie. And that's the beginnings of Fury Road. And the idea was that Mel Gibson was going to come back to the role that he originated. And for the co-lead, which later became Furiosa, Miller had Uma Thurman in mind, is what it was, in 98. Miller also says he even thought about a young Charlize Theron for the role, but he said that her <laughs> agent her agent told her she wasn't interested. A decade later, when mm. Miller told her this story, she said she never heard that from her agent. <laughs> not not it long happens. after it yeah, happens. <laughs> you you probably know a little bit with that with casting. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've had that I've had that happen before. 
Not long after coming up with the idea, Miller decided to start making storyboards for the film since he planned on doing a movie mostly made up of action with very little dialogue. He hired four storyboard artists, and before the screenplay was even written, they created 3,500 storyboard panels for the film, which apparently was close to the same number of shots in the finished film 15 years later. Wow. Uh, he said he wanted to do the movie only with storyboards and no script. There you go. As Miller began moving forward on the project, Mel Gibson officially became interested and kind of became got on board with the movie. The crew would begin building the cars and renting out production space in the early 2000s. But Miller says everything changed after the terrorist attacks on September 11th. He said the American dollar collapsed against the Australian dollar and their budget ballooned. Production director Colin Gibson said he was in Namibia, which is the location they were planning on shooting in, in Africa. And he got a call saying to stop spending money. And essentially, <laughs> American movies studios were hesitant about putting their money outside of the country after 9-11 and the beginning of the Iraq war and travel and shipping had been given more restrictions, restrictions of time. So they couldn't ship the vehicles and stuff they were building over different countries. But Miller, so they already had booked digital facilities for Mad Max in Australia. So he had to commit to doing a project and that project would be happy feet, which he originally planned on making after fury road. And this would essentially tie Miller up for four years <laughs> and then I think in the, after that, it was like he was going to do Justice League mm -hmm. was the thing. And so that put Mad Max on the back burner again. Uh, and then finally, he decided to come back to it. But during that time, Mel Gibson's star had kind of fallen in Hollywood after several kind of yes. con controversies and <laughs> uh, other things. And and Miller said he was Gibson was kind of being seen as a pariah. And he was wasn't able to put him in the film. He's like a talented director, talented actor. Uh, but also, he said another big reason why Gibson wasn't right for Mad Max now was that Gibson was getting pretty old, and they never wanted to make like an old road warrior movie. Was the thing they wanted to still make it kind of in continuation with the previous movies. So they would begin looking for a replacement for Gibson. But in March two thousand nine. Miller made the announcement that he would be making an R-rated anime action film, mimicking the Japanese anime style, and he said the movie would essentially be the Mad Max sequel, lifting heavily from the original idea he created for Mad Max Fury Road. He also had plans to adapt this film into a video game, and it was going to be designed by the same artist who did God of War 2. And even though it was going to be animated, Miller still did not want Mel Gibson involved in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess because he did all these storyboards, he's like, let's just make an animated film. So I don't have to, I just did happy feet. I know how to do animation. We got the facilities. We got the people. Let's just do it that way instead. But it seems only a few months later, reports were coming that Miller was location scouting for a live action version of Mad Max. And Miller said he decided to do it as a live action film because it had already built so many cars for that previous movie in the early 2000s. He's like, we got to <laughs> use them somehow. <laughs> Uh, it was around this time the movie switched from being a Fox movie to a Warner Brothers movie. And now with all that, as they're like gearing up for it, they would start looking for their new Max. And they looked at people. They actually either auditioned or talked with people about the role. And the actors that were they, they kind of talked with about it were Michael Fassbender, Joel Kinnaman, Eric Bana, and even Eminem. Oh, God. That was were, honestly, that was the first time I remember hearing that this was a thing. 
was <laughs> like I, I used to get like Entertainment Weekly and like read it religiously. And I just remember seeing they would do these little like like rumor page. And I yeah. just remember seeing like George Miller is considering George Miller has said, like, if he would ever do another Mad Max movie, he would want Eminem to be Mad Max and just being like, what? And that's that's probably what launched my skepticism in this whole uh, process. <laughs> Yeah, basically, they even like they actually I think one of the storyboard artists like even like changed Max's hair to blonde at a moment <laughs> to like mimic Eminem being cast in it because that's not they weren't close because Miller basically he had a conversation with Eminem. He said he loved him in Eight Mile and he found him. It was a really interesting actor. And he said that he had talked with Brittany Murphy, who had worked with him on Happy Feet and also Eminem on Eight Mile. And Murphy said Eminem was a wonderful person to work with. So Miller called him up. And Eminem just wasn't interested in making the movie because it was going to be shot outside of his home state of Michigan. And he would do it if it was shot in Michigan, basically. <laughs> yeah, there's some parts of Michigan that could pass for uh, post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, we missed out on the original Eminem uh, Fury Road song. Oh, man. Oh, now I'm wishing I had that. Fury! Um... um uh, but yeah, so he didn't want to go to Australia to do it. So, but apparently at one point in the mid two thousands, the big name that was floating around with Miller was Heath Ledger. And mm. they wanted to kind of cast an Australian actor because uh, almost like bond, a continuation of, of Mel Gibson into, into Heath Ledger. Um, and, and Miller said that he's taught, had multiple conversations with, with Ledger anytime he came back to Australia about doing the movie before Ledger would pass away in 2008. And finally, after a year-long search, the three actors who became the finalists for the role of Mad Max were Tom Hardy, Army Hammer, mm-hmm. and Jeremy Renner. All three did screen tests and chemistry reads with members of the cast. Zoe Kravitz stated that she did a chemistry read with Renner for the role. Where where does this fall with the Justice League stuff? Because was Army Hammer was supposed to be Batman. Batman, Batman, Batman yeah. yeah. So yeah. this this would probably be a year or two after Justice League. Okay, so it was because Justice League would have been 07 when the strike happened. This is this is like 09. Mm. Is what it is. I think 09 was when they like officially made like were like George Miller's no longer attached to this like whatsoever. So yeah, yeah. So that makes sense of why it was happening. Um, but it was Hardy who apparently shined in the final rounds, of the audition process, according to Cal Buchanan in his book, blood, sweat, and Chrome, the wild and true story of Mad Max Fury road, <laughs> Hardy and hammer actually had to read together in a scene and Hardy reportedly spat on hammer during the scene and hammer would eventually tell Miller that Hardy needed to be max more than he did. Uh, <laughs> Hardy's first audition was actually like kind of, like he wasn't going to show up. His agent called the casting director the week, the, the night before saying he's not coming. They're like, no, he has to come for this. He shows up. He actually auditions with Kat Dennings, who was apparently auditioning for the the movie as well. And when Miller saw Tom Hardy, he said, I had the same feeling about Tom that I had when Mel Gibson first walked into the room for the first film. There was a kind of edgy charm, the charisma of animals you don't know what's on what's going on in their inner depths and get there enormously attractive. Miller stated he also became aware of Hardy after seeing him in the 2008 film Bronson was what kind of put him on the radar mm-hmm. for the 
for the role of the wives, Miller and his casting director, Rana Kress, looked at hundreds of different actresses for the roles. They apparently saw a young Margot Robbie, a young Jennifer Lawrence, and they even auditioned Rihanna for one of the roles uh because it's picture that rihanna and <laughs> eminem in this movie we would got monster we could add uh, yeah we could add what was it love the way you lie, love the way you lie <laughs> as, 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 a, as a theme song yeah um they would eventually cast away kravitz rye keo rosie huntington whitley abby lee and courtney eaton for the for the wives for the role of furiosa they auditioned such actresses as jessica chastain ruth nega and even gal gadot because of Godot's age, they had auditioned her for Furiosa and The Wives. And even though this was her, even though this was before her breakout role in Fast and the Furious franchise, it seems Godot was the runner-up to to be cast as Furiosa. Uh, but it would go to Charlize Theron, and Charlize was going through a little bit of a rough patch in her career at this point. <laughs> After winning her Oscar for a performance in Monster, she, which was also directed by Patty Jenkins. Um, she didn't have much luck in Hollywood. After a slew of box office critical mishaps, Theron would make would take two years off from acting, trying to start her own production company. By the end of the 2000s, her star was kind of falling, and it was around this time she heard Miller was casting his new Mad Max movie, and there was a female lead for it. And she said that she grew up watching those movies, and they were huge in South Africa, where she was from. And she got a meeting with, with George Miller. And they had lunch in L.A., and over that lunch, he offered her the role on the spot. He said that he knew behind the elegant facade there was some real grit to that person. And Charlize was the only person cast in this movie who did not audition for it. Wow. You know, so. I, I heard actually when they decided not to go with Gal Gadot, they had to go back and get rid of one of the lines in the script. What was the line, Thomas? It was a line about... Um... <laughs> And we have enough gasoline to fill the truck. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> anyway, Ugh. as pre-production for the film was in high gear, it seems they were still going off of Miller's original storyboards and not a script. Uh, John Seale. Yeah, I have a I actually have a PDF of, of the storyboards. It's it's wow. pr- it's pretty in depth. Yeah, I don't doubt. Yeah. Do you have all 3000 of them? <laughs> uh, it's a lot. It's, a lot. It, it's three yeah. separate PDF files. Wow. Okay. Well, maybe. Um, John Seal, the film's second director of photography after Dean Simler left after a decade of being on the project. Dean Simler directed or DP'd the first two movies and also did, or the, the last two, or he did Mad Max 2 and Mad Max 3. He also did Waterworld, as we talked about last week. Um, basically, Seal said he walked into a room full of storyboards and they were all over the wall. And he's like, I couldn't make much sense of it. And neither could Warner Brothers, apparently. So they forced Miller to put together a script for the movie. Miller hired Nico Lotharis and Brendan McCarthy to co-write the screenplay with him. Nico was an Australian actor who actually had a small role in the first Mad Max is what it was. Um, Mm. And it was like Grease Rat is what it was, was the the title name, was the character name. Uh, He worked, uh, uh, Nico worked a little bit in Australian television before coming on Fury Road. This is his first credited screenplay is this film. Uh, Brennan McCarthy is a British comic book artist. And I mentioned at the end of our Waterworld episode last week, they had a comic by the name of Freak Wave. And that might have inspired Waterworld in some way. And McCarthy was one of the co-creators of that series. And since Miller had essentially created a comic book with storyboards, McCarthy could have worked well in that structure when he came on board. 
And they helped kind of develop the characters more and also develop the cars was another big thing in the, in the script. So with a cast and crew on board, production was to begin in November 2010. But after an unexpected heavy rainfall around Broken Hill, New South Wales and Australia, which is where they're planning on shooting, wildflowers grew in the desert areas they planned on filming. And it was just no, full, no. Of, full of color, like all these different flowers. Like they said it was the most rainfall that area had gotten over 15 years. And so Warner Brothers like, okay, hey, let's wait it out. Maybe all the flowers will die <laughs> and the desert will come back. So we'll wait a year. Let's give it a year. Um, but by a year later in November of 2011, nothing had changed. And so they moved production back to uh, Nubibia, which is where they planned on shooting originally in a year, a decade earlier. Uh, and that's where they decided to shoot the movie and new production date was given and it was July 2012, almost a decade after the film's original planned start date and a year and a half after this second iteration of the film's uh, the uh, second iteration of the project start date. So yeah, so now with the official start date, a cast and crew, they're moving closer to production and that takes us to our favorite scenes. So first up, Thomas, or what, what do you have for favorite scenes? Here. I mean, I, I I clocked it this time watching it, and it it the I guess what you would call Act One wraps up like right at thirty minutes yep. on the dot, and yep. it is just maybe the best first act of a movie ever. <laughs> I mean, it is just insane. It, it drops you right into it with a with a chase. I do I do love the way they they do the like max driving off like you think like oh you know we're, we're gonna ease into this here's max here's the world he's driving off into the distance and then it's just like cars over the camera oh people yeah. are chasing him we're we're not gonna slow down for the next half hour of this half movie. hour yeah no it's incredible um and david what's your thoughts on that opening because that's it's a lot happening as thomas is saying <laughs> yeah i mean it's insane and it's it what Blows my mind about this movie is how the conflict just keeps mounting in every scene and then scene to scene the conflict's building. It's just it's a masterclass in in raising stakes and just mm -hmm. nonstop, you know, nonstop conflict. Like, oh, they're gonna get out of this. Oh no, they're not. Now something else is happening. You know, it's just brilliant. It's brilliant how every single scene is laid out. And I think it all begins with this opening. Yeah, and you even, have these, even like, him getting captured and stuff. Yeah, you have these like turns like of okay, he gets captured. Well, it's like at first you had this, like you said, like kind of almost like calm moment where it's like you're you're getting the exposition of what's happening to the world and who max is they don't go into the whole idea of like the loss of his family but they kind of hint that he's lost something he's this like loner on the road and then we just he's like i'm just surviving is kind of the thing and i'm always mm -hmm. being chased by someone and we don't know who these who these war boys are uh we we just hop into this world we see he's being tattooed and he 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 escape or he he breaks out kind of their grips. He think, oh he's gonna escape. It's Max. Blah, blah blah. He doesn't escape. And then you while this is happening, you're setting up the whole Furiosa stuff. You're setting up the whole Morton Joe stuff with these kind of really unique visuals and character designs. And then you're getting all those turns of Furiosa as well as you're like she's his right hand person. And then it's like you start to realize something's a little wrong and then it's the betrayal and then he realizes it. Um, and then Max gets, it's he introduced kind of Nick, Nicholas Holt's character as, uh, as the war boy. And it's just like you, it's building all these characters up very quickly, but also doing it through the action of it. Mm -hmm. We're like with Holt's character, you have that great moment where like 
with uh with with nooks is that he's just like drained basically using max as a blood bank but you ha- you establish the whole idea that he's like trying to find his place and like be a hero because that's what mm-hmm. all these kind of war boys are is they're trying to be like die the 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 beautiful death is what it kind of feels like uh well they're, so they can, they're fanatical for for morton joe as well exactly yeah. they want to they want to go to the gates of Valhalla. is the yeah. idea is that like it's almost like the idea that once we leave here we'll be in we'll we'll be in this better place so it's like that's why it's okay to die and die for a morton joe because he'll make sure we make it to the the promised land essentially mm-hmm. um and it's an interesting kind of like cult is what it is. Like we talked about how um, last week on Waterworld with this Hopper's character, how like you have these kind of dictators and these kind of societies that like give you just enough to have hope before it's kind of all taken away. And that's kind of a Morton Joe as he as, as they're living off the abundance of it all, basically. Um, but yeah, it's really just action, action, action. You're constantly on the run. And uh, s- smartly, they they have those like fade to blacks in this movie that like it shows you kind of the ending of, say, certain sequences. But like it gives you that kind of like just take a breath in a way of like, OK, we're done with that. Like because the whole like desert tornado and mm-hmm. riding into the riding into like hell, basically, like you need a little bit of a breath <laughs> after that is the thing. Um, yeah, I mean, once pretty much once they strap Max to, I mean, you you've got that kind of Max trying to break out of the the prison, which is which is very intense. But as soon as he's strapped to the front of that car, like it does not let up. That's no. probably a solid fifteen minute sequence mm-hmm. of them chasing him down. Um, yeah, but yeah, the the tornado, the the sandstorm. Uh, I don't know if that's technically a haboob. I've I've driven through a haboob, which is a, a <laughs> thunderstorm in the desert that starts throwing up sand and then it creates dust devils. Uh, it's pretty terrifying. It's it's pretty scary. <laughs> it was of course not. It was not that. Uh, it was not that big. But uh, when did you go to the desert, Thomas? It was one of the times driving back and forth to from South oh. Carolina to L.A. Okay. I was like, where, when were you driving in like an African desert? Is what I was like wondering. There's deserts stuff. in America, Brandon. I, there, I don't there, know are. Know that. There, there are, there are, there are. Yes, I just got back from one. Uh, <laughs> you did, you did. Yeah, Thomas, uh, did you listen to the score when you were driving through? <laughs> no, I don't. That, that that would have been before. That would have been before <laughs> this came out. But I should have put it on and said, "Oh, what a what a day, what a lovely day." <laughs> um. But yeah, David, do you have like your next thing up? I mean, it, like the, most of this movie, man. But uh, <laughs> yeah, imme- yeah. immediately after that, I do love the fight by the war, uh, the fight by the war rig mm-hmm. between yeah. Furiosa and Max and and Nux and the and the wives. It's just yeah. great. It's and and uh, I, I really want to just speak to the action in this movie. It's so, and I think it probably plays into this idea of like they storyboarded the entire thing. But it's just so clean. Like you're never really confused on who's doing what, what's happening. Nope. Uh, and it just makes it so exciting. It, it adds on to this idea of like, oh, are they going to escape? Blah blah blah. But yeah, it's just. It's so well crafted, man, and um, yeah, and, and and the way they turn it, and like, okay, now Furios is in control, and then now Max is in control. It's great, and you're also like learning more about uh, kind of their individual motivations, especially Max in this case, because Nux thinks, oh, he's captured them, so now we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get all the glories, we're gonna get all the riches, mm. but Max doesn't give a shit about that. He wants to just go back to the desert. He just wants to get out of here. It's survival. Um, survival. Yeah, is the key exactly. For Exactly. So it's it's great. It's just a great sequence to further dive into the characters, but also just, you know, blow your mind with with the action. 
Yeah, there's a lot happening in that moment, like <laughs> direction, direction wise and story wise. So like direction wise, talking about the fight scene, and there was there was a video essay that kind of discussed at one point, discussed at one point when it first came out. But like a lot of times, to in terms of what David's saying, not being confused, is that they keep everything very center in this action scene. So your mm-hmm. eyes never going from the left side of frame to right side of frame, which is usually kind of the rule of like, if you have one person on the left side, you want to have the next person on the right side. But because they're keeping Furiosa and Max always in the center, it has this very interesting pace where you're so focused on it because it's never moving, but there's constant action within the frame that mm-hmm. it creates a very like visceral kind of feeling that you're in this fight with these characters. Like there's no confusion there's no you're not having to work to understand it all, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, even before that, character wise, he does this thing where you have the wives who are like essentially bathing in the water after all this. And the way he shoots it, it's not like this male gaze of these like women bathing in the water. If you notice the way he puts the camera, Max is focused on the water, the water most yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah is the thing um and then focused on i guess like seeing the the um like just kind of like how to get out of his chains essentially of like okay and then like gets the water and guzzles the water and then gets the like basically starts kind of like how to get out of what situation i'm in doesn't really care there's five women here doesn't really care he said about like nux and like giving them back to to morton joe for for a, a front seat to Valhalla or whatever. Um, he just wants to get out. That's mm. what it is. Um, Can we also talk about uh, Tom Hardy's grunts in this movie? Uh, They're amazing. <laughs> Especially in the scene. He's like, he's, he's not even really telling them what to do. He just like grunts and moves the gun to like mm-hmm. point them in a direction. Yeah, I, I had a friend that once said, he, goes, he, he didn't like this movie because he doesn't like seeing Tom Hardy in a mask. And I was like, okay, so you must hate yeah. Dark Knight Rises. Um, He's but he like, also yeah, gets out of the mask pretty early. I mean, relatively. I think, early, I think ultimately Tom Hardy 40. might have like twenty lines in this entire movie. <laughs> I, I have the I have the number as we get as yeah. we get later on. That's in film facts. Yeah, Max. I have the number. My name's uh, Max, <laughs> and and most of it's in the back, like in the last thirty minutes of the movie is the thing. Um, but yeah, the fight scene's great. Um, and then Thomas, like, what's what? What do you have next? Uh wait i'm trying to so so nux hops on again yes and then that's when he crawls under the bottom and that, that you've got the whole thing where nux is going through the bottom and, and and max is up on top and then that's when nux stabs her uh that time yeah it's it's it can be kind of hard to keep track in that middle part uh you know who's where and then nux gets thrown off again and then mm. that's when he comes back and and has the the, the i love the 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 build up it's it's a purely comedic beat and and the way that they pull it off is great but like you know when he has a huge heroic moment and he hops onto the the truck and he's uh you know witness me and a morton joseph sprays him himself and he's like you will arrive in valhalla was it shiny and chrome yeah and, and I will, then he jumps I will, I will off take you to the steps myself yeah, or whatever. yeah. and then he trips immediately yeah <laughs> <laughs> mediocre <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's worse than him saying like that sucked or like that's lame. He he calls it mediocre, which I think is worse than him just saying like you 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 fucked up. You're <laughs> just bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, like one big scene I like kind of in that period is like when she go they they go to kind of like in the like kind of in the 
middle of the rock formation, like um, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the like kind of mountains. And they had that other faction that mm-hmm. was chasing them earlier. You now realize like she's been making a deal with them as kind of as like protection, basically, to get out of there. And that's when she kind of has to trust Max for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and he's, and it's very just like, what's your name? What can I call you? Uh, why, why does it matter? I'll just call you when I yell fool, then you'll know to drive. Um, and you have this really great, just building the suspense of them realizing they're still being chased. These people, this faction's realizing that they've, that it's more than they bargained for. And mm-hmm. so she has to find a way to get out of there. And you have that just kind of great escape scene between them and the rock formation falls and all this stuff. Um, but then it builds to kind of this where a Morton Joe and, and those characters kind of start chasing at, like they get through and start chasing um, after Max and them again. And that kind of leads one scene I like is when, because again with Hardy's performance with all our performance but Hardy is specifically where it's like we talked about last week with Wild World about the reluctant savior is the thing and Hardy plays it very well here with Max it's like and the first moment you kind of see it is when they're having that chase sequence and you have the wives who are kind of like standing in to protect them basically to make sure that a Morton a Morton Joe won't shoot me because I'm pregnant with with his baby or this and that um and that moment when or when uh when whitley with um with uh what's her character name with the 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 most treasured breeder uh of mm. rosie huntington whitley uh whitely when she's like uh she had she almost falls she gets up max has this really great look of like a sm- like the first time you kind of see him smile and it's kind of like uh okay this like these women are like pretty like strong and empowered and that they're really putting themselves out there for this. And then she falls and, and dies right after that. It's just this really great moment where you're kind of seeing the consequences of everything, if that makes sense. Um, and and, yeah. and the, the scene immediately following that, when, you know, uh, Charlize is asking him, uh, Furious is asking him like, hey, what, what, did you see it? Did you see it? And she goes, she went under the wheels. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, because everyone's yelling at them. They have to yeah. stop. They got to go back, and yeah. and and you can t- yeah, you can tell in that moment that you know the the way that they're yelling at him is 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 like you know we still don't know you. You're still this guy that we don't really trust. But you, something has changed in him mm-hmm. in that moment. And and even though he's not stopping, he is you know some something about that woman's sacrifice, her her death yeah. has, has has touched him. Because mm-hmm. again, like his, his, he's still a character who's grieving over the loss of his family in some way. And there's something I think there that it keeps haunting him that he's supposed to be this protector mm-hmm. and everyone around that he loses a lot of people around him and he never like steps up the occasion is the thing. And this is where you start seeing it coming back up with these characters of, of kind of the partnership they should be having. Um, but yeah. Uh, what, what does someone, what, what does someone have next? Thomas, um, I I do love the I I think the the different the way we're kind of given like different types of action in this yeah. movie is so we've we've got these kind of like these huge moments. There's there's really kind of three with the the first fight scene leading into the storm, and then the second one within the cat within the cliffs, and then obviously the the kind of 
third act. Uh, and then, like we said, there's some really good like hand to hand combat. And then whatever mm-hmm. they're doing with the with the marshlands and the fog and the 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 bullet farm, the head of the bullet yeah. farming family come. It's just like it's completely different. It's like a it's like a horror movie. It's a little bit more tension and, and not and mm-hmm. not action or suspense. You know, they're stuck in the mud and they're trying to get out. And that's when Nux is kind of revealed to have had a change of heart. Riley Keough has convinced him to to fight for the greater good and they're trying to tow it out and they blind the bullet farmer so then he's got that absolutely probably the most that and the and the guitar player like the most unhinged parts of the movie when he wraps the thing around his face and he's i am the scales of justice well, he's like put, put, put the flare in front of me they're like it is in front of you they've been like be careful with the guns we don't want to hurt the 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 wives and then he's just like nah screw it I'm, I'm just firing everywhere wildly and um yeah it, it changes the pace and but you know in a, in a great way it's, it's instead of this just like constantly moving forward uh as we're doing with a lot of the the fight chase scenes this is like can we just get a couple of feet ahead can we get the truck going yeah and then i think it's it's really whatever they the the call to have max just like fade out into the fog yeah and 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 this like explosion in the distance is is such an interesting it's it's unexpected and in a movie that that doesn't really hold anything back i think to hold that back in that moment is 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 really is really well done. And I, I mean, I think that's, that's part of, like we said, the kind of the key word for this movie is, is the pacing. Mm-hmm. It is, it is like, it's such a masterful work of like, we're going to throw everything at you and now we're going to give you a moment to breathe. And then it's yep. like back at you again. It's yeah. I wrote down like when they start, when they slow down a little bit around the, around the midpoint after she, after the first wife dies. Um, and it's, they're kind of like driving into the night and you start having a little bit of moment of just of slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, it's like I, said, I love the moment when, when when he comes back and he's like covered in blood, and and mm-hmm. it's like they're that's like not his blood. You're not you're <laughs> hurt. He's like that's not his blood. Yeah. <laughs> and it just shows what's, you just kind what's of this? like what's she says mother's milk. <laughs> mother's milk. <laughs> 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 and and then we finally arrive at like finding the mini mothers. It's they're, they're going after to find the mini mothers, which is where the green place is, which is where. Furiosa was born and I love when they ride up and you have that woman like crying on the on the like uh, tower mm-hmm. and Max is like that that's bait mm-hmm. <laughs> which has turned into a meme yeah <laughs> but the moment when Furiosa like they meet they, it's this emotional high of she's finding her people it's this it's it's all it's all these women that they're living together and kind of having a, their own version of a society and it's this very emotional high and then you have the like where's the green place i want to show them the green place like our home and they're like well if you came from that way you've you've rode through it and they're like oh it was the it was where the mud was at that was what used to be the green place and you just have probably the most iconic shot from the movie mm. when furiosa's yelling in the desert like sand and it kind of flying by her just an incredible shot that like you can so tell is done in the middle of a desert and not like on a green screen or whatever uh you see a lot of times desert it's it's i feel like desert's just very hard doing green screen because it always feels fake to me when every time i see it and here it just feels so 
like it's it feels real because it is and just a great performance by by Charlize in that moment too and and also want to say like that moment could have so easily gone into cliche yeah but it's handled so well it's handled so well and it doesn't really for some reason I like on this watch I realized like how quick that moment is I like I thought it held yeah. a lot longer on that uh, no. but yeah it's, it's a great moment and it's a great way to pay off like this whole journey that they've been on yeah brings her scream down a little bit amps up the music like to where it's almost this silent like scream essentially um it's great and then it leads into them. Back. yeah well there's that but this <laughs> moment when she first when she's like hey like we're leaving we have like enough supplies to get us 150 miles or whatever it is like that way or, or 160 like days drive that so way this has been my, my question so and then this is for you water world guys the salt that they're talking yes. about that's just the that's the ocean right it's just the ocean's completely dried up that's what that's what I've understood that, it to be. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, and this one, yes. And they're just right. gonna start driving across the Pacific Ocean and see and see what they hit eventually. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think the something. whole thing is like, yeah, they, that land's not hasn't been charted, but mm-hmm. according to Max, it's nothing but desert. Yeah, just more <laughs> ocean. I, 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 I am I am curious if you were to the Pacific Ocean was dried up and you were well, I guess it depends on what part of Australia you're you're yeah. getting off of, like. Yeah, 180 days. Where would that get you driving on motorcycle <laughs> across the Pacific Ocean? Not to America, probably. I feel like I feel like it would take, <laughs> take a longer time. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh yeah, um, maybe, maybe you can make it there. 160 days, you can make it there. Um, but yeah, it, it's. But he has a kind of con- like when she's like, "Oh, you should go with us." He's kind of just like, "I'm basically like I'm not doing like it's hopes so are like a terrible thing." Like, if you have hope, that's when kind of everything starts crumbling. And then you have kind of that moment where like he has those visions come back to him again and you have this change of character in Max. And it's the first time, honestly, you have Tom Hardy give a monologue in some way in this entire movie <laughs> mm-hmm. is when he's telling them we got to go back. Um, and it's almost like I feel like everyone's taken aback by it because it's so different than what he's been the entire movie is mm-hmm. the thing. Um, and then you lead to this kind of like big final section. Um, and so what are y'all's thoughts on the, I mean, this kind of back 30 minutes, of this movie, I mean, it's nonstop. Like talking about how the first <laughs> yeah, act is nonstop. Yeah. This third act is insane. And you know, like, don't get me wrong. Like I love the road warrior. I love the third act of the road warrior, but this just takes that and dials it up to 11. Like it's insane. Mm-hmm. It's just nonstop. And yeah, I mean, and, and, and the fact that a lot of this is so is real it just, it's still mind blowing. It's like Soderbergh mm-hmm. said, he's like, he doesn't understand how I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but he's like, I don't understand how they're not still shooting this movie yep. and how nobody died. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's, the, it's wild. The guys on the pole, there's just so many new yeah. mechanics that I feel like are introduced in this. Like that's yeah. the thing is they just keep coming up with all these like different ways that they're fighting. You know, you've got, one scene where it's like the fire bombs and they're trying to overheat the engine. And then you got mm-hmm. another scene where it's like, they're going to get in front of the car and there's it, like, it's like every time they have a new fight, they introduce kind of a new mechanic yeah, so that it never feels like True. the same thing over again. And this time you got the guys on the poles coming back and forth. They got chainsaws, the guys swinging on poles with chainsaws. They got the harpoons. They're trying with the, with the plows in the back. It's yeah, it's, it's all so good. And then it's just, it's, it's all orchestrated. So, it, it, you know, it is like, it is like the the greatest it's that's the beauty of this movie is like taking some of the greatest fight scenes you've ever seen and some of the greatest car chases and just yep. like colliding them. And so you've got 
you've got uh, now uh, Max is over on this truck and and uh, Furiosa's in this car and they're all keeping track of each other and it, and they're all like hopping around. It's yeah, it's it's so wonderfully orchestrated. Yeah, it's amazing. And then, and then, and then you have again like these character modes again where now like Furiosa and Max are finally a team and it really shows in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have all the like many mothers like kind of doing their thing and sacrificing themselves or to make things. I, I, I like the moment where it has the older one with all the, like the seeds and stuff. Mm-hmm. When she talks with uh, one of the wives, and it's kind of like the, it's interesting. The mini mother, the, what many mothers like gravitate towards some of the wives, like you have Zoe Kravitz, who's the, the, the knowledge of all the guns and everything. And then you had this other one who's kind of the more eccentric character. Yeah. The crazy wife, the crazy, yeah, the crazy wife <laughs> who is the ones who's the keeper of the seeds is what it is. Um, and yeah, and you have the one who you think is kind of the, the as they put in online, like the meekest one who like all, wants to go back and like be protected. But then she's the one that and hey, you had that good twist where she's like, oh, take me. And then it's actually a setup to get Furiosa mm-hmm. on a Morton Joe's car, basically. Um, and then just a great kill of a Morton Joe. But also, too, oh, so good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Witness me. Witness me. And then just twist the twist his face basically off. Um, but also, you said uh, with Nicholas Holt's sacrifice or uh, Nux's sacrifice is great as well because you have this bond that, that he has with uh, with Raikyo's character, um, where it's like you you see this bond happen, and then you see that he like realizes he can't like in order for him for them to to leave and get away, he has to like crash the war rig essentially. And it's a great moment of them looking together and yeah. And the score is so good in that moment, dude. Like yeah. I love mm-hmm. the score throughout, but especially that moment. Yeah. It, it really, it really is great. And then we build to the moment of after the, after all this happened, Furios has been stabbed and you now have the part where Max in the beginning of the movie was a blood bank, uh, not by choice. And now he's giving his blood over to this person that he's become, mm-hmm. that he's become close with. And he had that great. He's like, my name is Max. Max. <laughs> it's Max. Um, and, and then, then and then he just gives one last. Hmm. Yeah, like <laughs> like everything's good here. <laughs> we did it. And, and then you you go to the Citadel again, and they they take it over. They reveal Morton Joe and the young kids, the ones that let him up. And again, just that great moment when you have Max who's there with them, and then you cut back. He, he's you see him kind of looking around you cut to the crowd he cut back to them and now he's gone and she looks for him and it cuts to him in the crowd looking up at her gives his last nod i i, I bet he probably did a grunt on top of it to himself <laughs> <laughs> and leaves. he's done yeah. yeah i i also love that moment the the son that looks through the the telescope when they oh, yeah. reveal that that is dead, like more Joe's dead, and he just kind of looks at the the little war boys by him, like, "Am I gonna make it out of yeah, this?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all they all start revolting. You're like, yeah. I'm, I, he's just like, I, I oh. couldn't remember if this time watching it, it had been a couple of years since I'd seen it. I couldn't remember if they like start picking him up and like tossing him off the side, or if it's just like implied that that's about to happen. <laughs> he just like looks at them like, "Oh, oh shit!" No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man. But yeah, great. Ending. But yeah, that final looks beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and the kind of like, yeah, it's it's almost the Dark Knight Rises ending where the thing's going up and then it goes to black mm-hmm. as the thing as the as the uh, platform covers the frame. Um. Uh, so yeah, and yeah, I mean, we I think we covered as much of the movie 
yeah. scenes is probably got it. one big long car chase. So mm-hmm. let's run on set. And then they turn around and do it again. <laughs> do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's where you say, go, man, the biggest plot point this entire movie is they turn around. That's it's all. That's the biggest plot point. Um, so on set life. So production, as I said, would start in July of 2012 in the in the desert in uh, Namibia. And it was in New, yeah, New, Namibia in, in the desert a year and a half after the original start date. Uh, director of photography, John Seal, as I said, uh, replaced Dean Simler on the on the project. John Seal actually came out of retirement for this movie. He hadn't worked in five years. Um, and it was his first time he actually ever shot on digital. And originally, Miller wanted to shoot this movie in 3D, on na- in native 3D, but he realized the rigs would not work for filming the action scenes. So Seal would use like 10 Arri Alexa cameras and for crash cams of the cars, he would use like basically Canon DSLRs. Uh, it's, he said that it was easy because they broke one. They just run to the store and get another one. <laughs> um, around yeah, I wonder how many are just littered over the desk. <laughs> yeah, over the yeah desk, just yeah. toss it. Yeah. It's like a clip <laughs> for a gun. It's just like, don't know that one. Gone. Don't know that one. Get the, get the SD card out. Um, <laughs> Around the time of filming, Miller would bring on playwright V, formerly known as Eve Ensler, to act as an advisor for the cast. V had written the Vagina Monologues play and had become an activist dealing with issues of violence against women. And she would give feedback on the script and she would eventually come on set to hold workshops with the actresses playing the wives and kind of talking about captors and and sexual violence and kind of what you have to do in these situations and how women get out of them and kind of the mental effects of it all. But... Uh, immediately once production started, even before production started, tensions were high uh, amongst the cast. Uh, as Seal said, the weather played a factor, saying while the crew would be per- protected by the weather, the actors had to wear very specific wardrobes that didn't give them protection. Because they were shooting in July in 2012, it's actually winter time around that point in, 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 in Africa, and especially in south of Africa. So it was incredibly cold. Uh, Raleigh Keogh stated the night shoots were brutal and there was so much dust that your face would be covered with three inches of sand by the end of the day. She said they had, they were able to deal with it for about the first, for about the first five months. Uh, but maybe not as much as later, uh, Keogh actually got hypothermia on set, um, during all this, Wow! but the weather didn't cause issue. Didn't was the only thing that caused issues among cast and crew, the working relationship between Tom Hardy and Charlie Theron did. Uh, PJ Vote and the film assistant director said in Kyle Buchanan's book, it seemed to implode in pre-production. We weren't even shooting the, we weren't even shooting yet. And it seemed to be that there was this animosity between them. Uh, and it didn't get better as filming began. Nicholas Holt said it was a tense atmosphere at times. And it was kind of like you're on your summer vacation and the adults in the front of the car are arguing. <laughs> Charlie said that's exactly what happened because her and Hardy were either arguing are not speaking to one another and all the other actors had to be present in the war rig scenes while this was happening. <laughs> Everyone on set said the personalities of Charlize and Hardy were the exact opposite. Uh, they said Hardy was kind of doing his method acting thing and he wanted to justify every single bit of choreography and every movement while Theron was just like, let's just do the damn thing. Uh, Tom was also notoriously late to set to a point where it became an issue if there was a morning call, Hardy would not show up until hours later. Uh, one day when they had an 8 a.m. call time, Charlize got there on time and in makeup and just sat in the war rig. Everyone knew she was trying to make a point and she refused to leave the rig no matter what until Hardy showed up on set. 
And even though they made a special request for him to show up on that day, they knew he wouldn't. So three hours later, after call time, Hardy wandered onto the desert set and Charlie's finally get out of the rig to cuss Hardy out in front of everyone, saying he should be fined for every minute he was late since he was wasting everyone's time. Apparently, Hardy then got in her face uh, and Charlie's felt she was intimidated by him in that moment. And that's when she asked, like, we have to get a female producer on the set because it feels like just his behavior is being condoned by the producer, Doug Mitchell. And she wanted someone on set to kind of be her protector in a way. So they brought in Denise D. Novi, who would join the film. But Mitchell would actually not allow her on set. So she stayed in the production office and would constantly check in with Theron. Looking back on the situation, Miller says he's disappointed himself for not handling, uh, not handling the process well, or not handling it well. He said uh, he would do it differently today. And he and Hardy also had several blowups on set as well, arguing over how things should be done. Hardy would later uh, say that uh, only after seeing the finished film did he realize what Miller was doing, and he openly apologized to him at the film's premiere, calling him brilliant. Uh, for Hardy, he stated in Kyle Buchanan's book that, in hindsight, I wasn't over my head in many ways. The pressure on both of us was overwhelming at times. Her, him and Charlize. What she needed was a better, what she needed was a perhaps better and more experienced partner in me. However, everyone says the relationship between Hardy and Theron would change after they filmed the bike scene where my, Max rides up and convinces them to go back to Citadel. Everyone could tell that Hardy had softened to Charlize in real life, and everyone was shocked by the performance he gave in that moment and how they began interacting with one another afterwards. I think someone said like, who gave them Molly all of a sudden? Cause why are they <laughs> acting so nice? They said by the end, Hardy was a lot easier to deal with and more compassionate with many believing he, he went fully method by mirroring the arc of the characters. Oh, okay. I like her now. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the moment when Max and Furiosa finally become a team. Uh, Theron says in retrospect, she didn't have enough empathy, uh, really to truly understand what Hardy must have felt when stepping into Mel Gibson's shoes. She told the New York times, I think we were putting up walls to protect ourselves instead of saying to each other, Hey, this is scary for you. It's scary for me too. Let's be nice to each other in a <laughs> weird way. We were functioning like our characters. Everything was about survival. And since then, both have praised one another for each other's performance on the movie. But there was also more controversy on set. Apparently, several environmental organizations in the country were upset with the amount of damage the crew was doing to the desert and how it was threatening the wildlife there. They felt the crew had severely damaged the areas because of the amount of vehicles that would go through parts of the desert that had never been touched by vehicles. And uh, the film commission there reacted angrily to the claims, claiming the production did no such thing, and they had a clean bill of making sure the desert was great. According to Miller, 90% of the effects of the film were achieved practically. Uh, both the the Doof Wagon, is it Doof Wagon and Doof Warriors guitar mm -hmm. are fully functional. Uh, uh, the guitar did shoot fire out. It apparently <laughs> weighed 132 pounds is what it was. Um, and none of these scenes use CGI. Um, the second unit director and supervising, super, supervising stunt coordinator Guy Norris was in charge of over 150 stunt performers. Uh, and, and apparently Miller had character backstories for all of them is what it was. Hmm. And can CG. I, yeah. Can I tell a little guy Norris story in here yeah, real quick? Am yeah, I going to yeah. be stepping on your toes? I've worked with guy no. before. Oh, um, yeah, uh, so guy did the first Mad Max uh -huh. and he, when they were 
making the first Mad Max. There were like no stunt people in Australia. It just wasn't just wasn't a thing like you know that we we've, we've covered kind of australian new wave mm-hmm. they, they weren't really doing like action movies at that yeah. point um and so guy was just like a he was like a motorcycle guy like he just yeah. rode motorcycles he said occasionally he would do like jumps and new uh new george miller kind of knew this crew and they were like hey would you like wreck a motorcycle on camera and he was like yeah sure we'll, we'll try and then that turned into like, oh, OK, well, you like drive this car and like wreck this car. And so like guy did like all the stunts in the first Mad Max movie <laughs> and then just became, you know, and then kept working, kept working and then became one of like the four most stunt <laughs> coordinators in film. He's got like four sons and they all do stunts, too. Oh, and wow. like the, his whole team is like so. So they were they were like all on this movie as well. Um, but Yeah wild team but i just love that and i actually just uh, another movie i just worked on recently the stunt coordinator on that one was like a professional high diver and that just like somehow turned into stunt him being being a stunt guy <laughs> yeah that's a, like in the 70s stunts was just like a complete yeah. like the wild west they're just like Tedious oh okay you're, you're, yeah you're someone who does dangerous stuff okay cool yeah you're our stunt guy now yeah you know, now well, it's like you have to go to a stunt gym and you have to meet the the right stunt team and then they have to yeah. bring you in. But like you have to be training at like a stunt gym regardless. And now they were just like, yeah, will you wreck your motorcycle on camera for us? And he was like, yeah, sure. Sure, why not? And now <laughs> he's in charge of, you know, 150 people driving all these cars and dangling on poles on top of them and all that. Because yeah. like, again, these characters, like, like Zoe Kravitz is really being snatched up out of the car mm-hmm. <laughs> into the other car. She said, she's like, yeah, that's really me. I'm really doing that. Um, yeah, they use CGI very sparingly. Uh, they only use it to mainly enhance, enhance the landscape, remove stunt rigging and, uh, added Furiosa's left arm, which is a prosthetic limb is what it was, uh, which I think they just like a green, that was the green screen arms they had on it. Um, soon Warner Brothers started getting antsy about what was going on in the set of Fury Road <laughs> and the film was going over budget and it was behind schedule. And there seemed to also be a battle at Warner Brothers over leadership. Wow, that's surprising. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't say. <laughs> uh, Miller said that there were two people who were fighting over who was going to be the head of the studio. Uh, Jeff Robinoff, who was the current head at that point, uh, flew over to set and basically told them cameras would stop on December 8th, no matter what they had. And Miller hadn't even shot the opening and closing scenes at the Citadel yet. And apparently... That's what happened. They got December December 8th. Those scenes weren't shot and they stopped production and they went into editing. And that leads us to aftermath. (laughs) So Miller would get into the cutting room without, without a beginning or ending. And they would spend almost a year on the film working on it and cutting it. Soon Robinoff was fired and the person who was kind of battling with him replaced him. And once that happened, he allowed Miller to go have a month of reshoots for the film. So they would reassemble the team, get the cars, and go take production to Australia, finally, going back to Australia. And they would shoot all the Citadel sequences. And that happened almost like a year later in November and December of 2013. So George Miller's wife, Margaret Sixkull, would edit the film because Miller felt she could make it make it stand apart from other action films at the, at the time. Uh, Sixkull said there were close to 500 hours worth of footage to edit. And it took her three months just to watch it all. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Uh, Warner Brothers kept asking Miller to cut the film down to under two hours and make it a PG-13 movie. 
Uh, Sixkull said it was incredibly painful to cut the film because she didn't feel the studio actually believed in it. She said that her and Miller just decided to make the movie they wanted to see, and if no one else likes it, that's fine. The studio would then test the movie. One was a PG-13 studio cut, and one was a, was Miller's R-rated cut, and the R-rated cut would test better. And, you know, studios look at numbers, and so they decided to release Miller's R-rated cut. And the film would premiere on May 7th, 2015, and then a week later it would be shown at Cannes Film Festival at Out Competition. And at the festival, that's when Hardy said... There's no way George could have explained what, what there's no way George could have explained what he could see in the sand when we were out there. I knew he was brilliant, but I didn't quite know how brilliant. And <laughs> Charlize Bay echoed those same thoughts as well, saying, I was very confused in the moment. I didn't know what I was doing most of the time, but now it all makes sense once once seeing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film being met with rave reviews from critics, fans, and filmmakers alike. Bong Joon Ho said the film brought him to tears. When he watched it because of its massive scale. And as David said earlier, Soderbergh said, I don't understand how you're not still shooting this film. How did hundreds of people not die? Um, <laughs> and I think Richard Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez saw a early cut of it at like South by Southwest. And he stood up and said, how did you shoot that to, <laughs> to George Miller? Um Many critics were caught one of the best action films of all time, almost immediately, and one of the best movies of the year, with some saying it was one of the best of the decade. It would go on to receive 10 Oscar nominations and would win six of them. However, the film would only gross $380 million against the reported budget of $185 million. Oh, yeah, uh, only $380 yeah. million. Come on. Uh, with, with marketing costs, Warner Bros. they lost about 20 to $40 million because of the movie. But... <laughs> That didn't stop talks of a sequel or sequels and a prequel because initially Miller wanted to shoot two Mad Max movies back to back is what it was. I couldn't imagine shooting Fury Road with another movie on top of it. That would Mm-mm. be ins- they would still be shooting. Um, but uh, pretty much bef- after the film's release, uh, that would all stop until Miller and Warner Bros. settled a pay dispute regarding the film of Mad Max Fury Road. Miller was supposed to receive a seven million dollar bonus that Warner Brothers apparently refused to pay. Um, (laughs) But the first film film after contract dispute will be a prequel to Furiosa, which is starring Anya Taylor-Joy and Chris Hemsworth, which is due out next summer. So, yeah, Mad Max has has been seen now as one of the best films of the 2010s, one of the best action films of all time, and some might say one of the best in the series, unless you're a very big fan of the original, which is fine. Um, but that leads us to what worked about this film. So Thomas, I'll let you go first. What worked? Yeah, about this actually, film? I actually went back and checked today my uh, like best of the decade list I made a couple years back, and I had uh-huh. this one at five. So like top five is yeah, uh, yeah, pretty solid. Um, yeah, I think and 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 this was you know this was kind of at the start. Of, we've we've had some other films kind of try and replicate. I think what the feeling of this was, but it's. It's hard to go back and it, 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 although when you do put it on, it's it, it, it still feels completely unique in the way yeah. that it just is like unrelenting action yeah. thrown at you. Like, I can't think of any other action movie that functions in this way. And and yeah. and it works it, and it's all it's all show. Don't tell like, you know, they they never stop to say, you know, they, they you get the they tattoo universal donor on the back of Max's back. And then, yeah. you know, Nux says, strap my blood bag to the front of the car. And, and you're just left to you know Nux never goes, oh, man, I got 
I have cancer and I need constant fresh blood cycled through my body or else mm-hmm. I can't drive the car. Like, um, and it, you know, it's the kind of as, as much as we say show don't tell in like writing classes and seminars and stuff. If you weren't George Miller and you handed this script in like a studio would like revolt because you, yeah. you're not explaining anything. You, you don't hold anybody's <laughs> hand for like any part of this movie. Yeah. Uh, but it 100% works. And, and I, and it just, uh, so it just, it's, it's wow. When you go back and watch it, how every, every part of it just functions as like adrenaline. And, and yeah. there's, there's never a moment that, that slows it down. That is not on purpose. You know, mm-hmm. he, he never slows the pace down except when he wants the pace slowed. And, and otherwise you're just on the edge of your seat for the entire thing. And then, yeah, I really can't think of a, another movie that functions like that. And, and every, every piece of it from, from the stunts to the production design, to the editing, to the absolutely the junkie XL score, um, it all serves that purpose. Yeah. David, what about you? Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything he just said, uh, but building off of that, I mean, the scale and the scope of it is just mm-hmm. out of this world and, you know, what we were kind of talking about earlier with cable movies, I've never watched this on cable, but I feel like this is like the perfect cable movie for the, for the next generation. Cause you could turn this on at any that's point true. and you would just be sucked in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, that's just a testament to how well paced it is, the editing and, and just how well structured it is also on a story level. Yeah. And every time you fade to black and you just cut to a commercial. Yeah. <laughs> it's built in. It's built in. Um, I mean, one thing I want to add to this, is like, it's like, yeah, it's the direction's amazing. Uh, performances are great. I think, I think, this is one of those movies where because the action film, the performance can sometimes be lost in it. It's like, Oh, it's just about the, the action as like, I mean, we talked about last week with Waterworld. Is it like, there's great action, but the performances are kind of lacking uh, in moments. And I think when you have someone like Hardy and Furiosa, I'm sorry, Hardy and Theron, not yeah, but Hardy <laughs> is Max and Theron as Furiosa. It's like, it's almost like you wonder if that tension helped with this performance because while they hated each other, the characters are supposed to not trust each other for most of the movie. Um, and so it, it kind of, and they're all supposed to be quiet anyway, for the most part. Um, but I think the kind of anger about things, the kind of built up tension, I think adds to the, the performance is the thing mm. that adds to the film. Um, so yeah, this is also something I, I know, Brandon, you, you being us like being in film school as this movie came out, we, we were kind of like beat over the head with it, but like with this script, just kind of breaking all the rules. It was it, like every class we were in after this movie came out was like, let's talk about like how Mad Max is actually a Furiosa movie. And the, the idea that yeah. like, it was like, it's the Mad Max franchise and Mad Max is the main character, but like the emotional journey in this movie, the main character of the movie is kind of technically Furiosa in this one. Yeah. Like I just remember showing up to my like screenwriting class the week after this came out and my professor was just like, let's talk about Fury Road. I was like, <laughs> okay, right, <yeah." laughs> well, I think, I think people forget is that like, I think most of the Mad Max movies are not really about Max is mm-hmm. the thing. It's like, it's, it's like those old westerns you know where it's yeah. like the the gunslinger rolls into town and then you find out more about the town than you do the gunslinger i guess the, well, the samurai movies were the same way well and and basically M- miller did say he wanted me to be like a western on wheels that was mm-hmm. the whole aspect of it um which we talked about that with Waterworld as well how they want to be like a western as well where it's like i think uh we said that how Waterworld one of the big inspirations was shane of like mm-hmm. the main character rolling into town 
and then leaving town once everything's been fixed. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've talked about it on here before, but the, the yeah, the idea of like the 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 uh, lawful hero and the outlaw mm-hmm. hero, and and Shane is Shane is like the example that that everybody uses as the template. It's like you need Shane to show Shane's dad how yeah. to become the hero that everybody needs, and then at, by the end shane can leave but and and you know that like shane's dad is there and can provide for everybody now yeah. um yeah it's, it's 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 the exact same way it's the jimmy stewart versus john wayne argument most mm-hmm. of the time is that john wayne's the has to leave and jimmy stewart stays mm-hmm. jimmy stewart stays and has the family and, ma- and makes <laughs> it makes a good life um but uh, this will probably be brief uh did anything not work about this movie so <laughs> feel free to jump in I, I, have, I have a nitpick that, that both of okay. you just watch. Okay. I mean, it's it's a nitpick. There's just maybe a handful of ADR lines that I don't think we needed. I That's don't know okay. if it was to fill like an audio gap or if it's like a studio note to clarify something. But there's a couple of times where people would like say something that was clearly like a motivation thing. And I... It yeah. just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But that's, again, that's only because I've seen this a million times and I was actually listening to every single line of dialogue to try to pick up on things that I had. I, I did heard pick before. up on one. I can't remember it now, but they, yeah, it's it's some, one of the wives and they're like, they've got a shot of the wives and then they cut to like an insert of something and you get a line of ADR from the wives that just like further explain something, just like a touch. And it's like, yeah. ah, you know, you know, you didn't need that. But, <laughs> but yeah, talking about studio notes, like I said, I'm still surprised they let this one just sit and be as much as it is as far as the idea of like, the gasoline and they they never say like oh everybody's fighting for for water now like yeah you just never have a moment of like this is the world that we're in other than or that, even, just like or even like crawl. explain the backstory you know like they they hint that there was these gas wars and water wars and stuff mm-hmm. but like we don't we don't need that like yeah. sequence at the beginning that shows yeah. all that mm-hmm. or we don't have like a morton show singing around with his other like like leaders that he like they are, are chasing with them like hey guys we should go off and do this thing like <laughs> Because like you don't know, are, are they live at the Citadel as well? Or are they like are they like no no both, no they, both yeah, farmer has a separate faction. place and it's then the other right. guy's the mayor of Gastown yeah, okay. yeah the yeah, guy yeah. with the nose he's the mayor of Gastown the, the big guy yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah 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 they all have different focuses I feel like I'm, I'm I'm a little more deeply steeped in the lore because I loved the video game that was based on this movie oh. uh, it was fantastic just a I never great beat game. it it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, you had all the different factions and they all had like different cars and different fighting styles and stuff. But yeah. All right. Well, yeah, very short on what did not work. Uh, Film facts. facts. Uh, It would be the top selling home video title in both 2015 and 2016. And as of 2020, the film has made $55 million in home video sales. They did the, they did the like initial release and then they did the like Chrome release, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, The Chrome release, the black and Chrome, I guess, uh, or the black and white, I guess it's just called the Chrome release. I know black and Chrome edition. Uh, uh, but it was made without the involvement of the, of John seal, the DP. Um, but I think at one point I had read that Miller wanted the original version of this movie in black and white and Warner brothers was like yeah we can't do that yeah we're no, putting our foot just, down there <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah that's happens every time it's like we're not gonna do that um but yeah so i feel like that 55 million dollars it's probably more now uh Warner brothers made their money back and the the money they lost uh they said they lost from it <laughs> so prior to junkie xl's involvement in the score they had several people attached to the score for this movie uh marco beltrami uh, John Powell and Hans Zimmer were mm. all attached at one point. I think I think Junkie XL like studied under Hans Zimmer at I think some so point. Too. I mean, I know yeah. they were they were in the 
You remember the Magnificent Six? Do you remember that? <laughs> no. It was like the super group they formed to do the Amazing Spider-Man 2 score. It was like, it was wow. Hans Zimmer, Junkie XL, Pharrell Williams, Johnny Marr. Uh, oh, who else was in? One of the guys from uh, Modest Mouse. Oh, but shit. It, yeah. It, and, and yeah, to, to all do the score for the Amazing Spider-Man 2, which, uh, you know. Great score, unfortunate yeah. movie, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I think you can hear it in some of Junkie in some of Junkie XL's work. You can hear that kind of Hans Zimmer tutelage, like you can with some of his other uh, students. Yeah, Zimmer he, he apparently collaborated with him on on Dark Knight Rises, mm. and they did a uh, um, Mega Mind Inception, Madagascar Three, Europe's Most Wanted. Oh, that Noah Baumbach movie. Yeah, the Noah Baumbach movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his best script. <laughs> I'm like, no uh, Barbie, come on. <laughs> uh, so, so while on set, there were actually several like couples that formed. Um, uh, Charlie Theron's stunt double and Tom Hardy's uh, uh, rehearsal double met oh. and fell in love. <laughs> That's beautiful. And got married in March 2013. It's like the uh, exact opposite of what was <laughs> happening between Tom Hardy and Charlie. <laughs> Uh, Riley, Riley Keough actually met her husband on this movie and he played one of the war boys uh, and they got married. My last fact, counting the opening voiceovers and discounting any grunt, grunts. Mm. Can you guess how many lines that Max actually actually has? Oh, taking the grunts out. I mean, oof. I'm going to go. Uh, are we playing like uh, Price is Right rules? <laughs> sure, sure. I'm going to say 18. OK, I'll say I'll say 32. Dave was closer. It was 52. Holy oh. shit. That was oh. more than I thought. <laughs> there is that like there's I, I don't know if it was my my sound system or when they're when they first got him strapped to the front of the car and he's like muttering to himself. I'm like, yeah. am I supposed yeah. to? Am I supposed <laughs> to? Like, I know there's one like, like taking my blood. Now they took my car or something like that. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He says that. Yeah. <laughs> even when he's about to, even when they're about to go into the sandstorm, he says something, but you can't hear him because yeah. of the score. I love that. There's just when he points at his car. That's mine. <laughs> yeah i wonder uh, how many of those lines are one or two words one, yeah one or two words yeah i'm max mm. <laughs> uh all right awards uh the beatrice straight award actor actually limit scenes that kills it who we have here i mean i i would like to nominate the do for you for sure mm, okay mm. Uh, I, I do have a, a nomination of uh, Angus Sampson, who plays, I believe they credit him as the the uh, organic mechanic, but the yeah, uh, oh, the yeah. surgeon. He's a, I, I really like, anytime I see Angus Sampson, he's a character actor I really enjoy. But um, I think he's good. The, the scene with Rosie Huntington Whitley, when he's just like just tossing oh, the yeah. umbilical cord around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect baby boy. I had a baby brother. Oh, yeah, Nathan Jones, former wrestler, by the way, Nathan Jones. Who's yelling? I had a baby brother, and he was perfect in every way. For Angus Sampson, fantastic season two of Fargo, fantastic. That's, yeah, I was just reading that. Um, I kind of want to go with uh the do for you though with the guitar because that <laughs> all I can think of with the do for you anytime I see him was when they they did a sketch on Conan where they had Conan like done up like <laughs> like him, and that's all. Anytime I watch this movie, I just think of Conan like dressed up like the doof, <laughs> playing fire coming out. <laughs> Well, I love it. Like, well, I love it. It's like when you watch it, it's like it's because they have moments where like because they have the blue sky because they shot the day for night stuff, which I saw all yeah, they shot all day for night stuff and they had blue. But when like it's the do for they did it one time with Riley Keough and Nicholas Holt where everything's blue, but then they're just in, like a light. 
yeah yeah, and yeah, yeah that's i love that shot i don't know uh, yeah they're the all the wives are sitting in the back and they're like holding a lamp and so they're just like perfectly colored you yeah. know and then and then uh furiosa and max are in the front and they're just like completely blue yeah no, that's great but no, i love it. he the warriors the two warriors just like playing in light and everything else around him is blue and he's just playing no matter what is the thing. Even when like shit's getting crazy, he's just still playing. Um, I, my vote, my votes to go there. Even though All I do right. love Angus Sampson. I lo- again, I love the umbilical cord. Like, yeah, perfect. Yeah, he only <laughs> was, if he only had another month to cook. <laughs> oh, God. All right, the Annie Potts X Factor Award Sporting Actor Actress is the most memorable. Hugh Keys Burn, big. Got to throw that out there. I think that counts as yeah. uh, Morton Joe. Uh, I agree. For for you know uh, the local Australian character actor just like stepped up to the plate for this movie. You know, yeah. and play Toe Cutter in the original Mad Max as mm-hmm. well. David, what are your thoughts? Who you pick? Who you picking? No, I, I'm. I, I that was going to be my nomination as well. There you go. That's an easy one. Yeah, I'll vote the same way. I mean, he's great. So many great lines there. Yeah, mediocre. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll go with him. Hugh Keys, Burn, and Morton Joe. All right. Now, the big one. The Gene Hackman MVP Award. Person who carries the movie. Actor, director, composer, stunt coordinator, etc. I think it's, it's got to be George Miller, right? Yeah. That's what I, I just remember, like, and this was this was pre, like, NBA me let him cook, you know. But, like, <laughs> when, I, when I walked out of that movie i was like so this is what george miller's been up to for the past 20 years <laughs> like yeah like yeah he made happy feet but like obviously this has been just like in his mind the entire time and and i'm so glad it just like sat and stewed in there until he could do it perfectly like it's it's just kind of crazy well like i remember he had gotten a reputation uh i think with some film people of like yeah like when like when especially when justice league was announced it was like why is he he just he's done he's done animated films like mm-hmm. Babe in the Babe in the Pig in the Babe Pig in the City. He directed the sequel, didn't direct the original one. Um Happy Feet. It's like people are kind of like, yeah, like what's he done? Come on, man, Witches of Eastwick? Yeah, in 87. Like, <laughs> Lorenzo's are, oil, bro. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I never seen, <laughs> I've never seen Lorenzo's oil. Uh yeah, but I, I get people are like when when Justly have was like okay, and Mad Max kind of the same one was like oh, what's going on? But I love it. You said, yeah, I, I think that that was part of the kind of skepticism was it was yeah. like has George Miller? I think he's kind of lost his edge, man. He did Baby, yeah. did Happy Feet. Like, does he really want to do another Mad Max movie? Like, there, it, no one was like straight out coming and saying that like this movie's gonna bomb. But there, I do think there was this general kind of feel of like ah. Eh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, th- it very much was. And, and to kind of, I mean, it's like an example people kind of compare him to is like, is, is kind of Cameron with Avatar, where like he kind of like just keeps pushing to get made for so many years. And then finally it all comes to fruition and it's successful. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, like, like there, I think there are people who thought, like, this is going to bomb. It's like, the budget's getting too high. Who wants to see a Mad Max movie? Like, there's, there's the, all the stuff about the set, like, what's happening on set. Like, I, I think there was definitely a thought that this was going to do poorly. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. And I think 
again, we're talking about, I think the movie is just a masterclass in directing. So you have to go with George Miller here is the thing. While everyone, Charlie Theron's great. Tom Hardy's great. I think you put a different director in this and it's nowhere near as good as this movie. Mm. So there you go. All right. Final questions. I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't know what we, if we should, how we should recast this. Like, because we can't say in the 1970s, cause that's just Mel Gibson. Um, so what do y'all want to do here? Who, who would have been, who would have been your Furiosa back then? In, in like the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that. We'll do that. Who did the Mafiosa in the 70s? Give me a second. Honestly, the first one that popped to mind is Jane Fonda for some reason. If let's let's say would this be like would this this would still be like four, this would be like late 80s, like after Thunderdome, or let's let's say he does it in 87. Because like how he, sick how sick would it be if like Grace Jones was Furiosa? I mean it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, I was going to say uh, Linda Hamilton. Mm, yeah, Linda yeah. Hamilton. Yeah. If you did that like mid nineties, Linda Hamilton would be really good. Um, let's pick a year. Let's pick a year. Let's let's say nine. Let's say like ninety five. Like let's say like ninety five. Okay. Let's say like he he instead because he didn't direct Babe. That he just year. he just dropped the Babe script <laughs> and, and he's like I'm off to go go do this new Mad Max movie. Ninety five. Who do you go with? Ooh, Angela Bassett would have been interesting. Oh hell yeah, yeah I, I I do I do really like Angela Bassett as as it. Um, you could also do Uma Thurman since he was thinking about that. Yeah yeah Uma Thurman yeah we just yeah if we go with that one. Oh, probably Angelina Jolie. That'd be sick. I feel like that's like the it, Hackers comes out that year. So like, what else is she doing? I feel like she's kind of like rising up. Girl Interrupted's a few years after this. Is ninety nine, and it would give her uh, the chance to showcase her action prowess er, prior to the er, early earlier 90s. on. Lara Croft is two thousand one. I could see Jolie doing this. I mean, she she is kind of your like. Honestly, if this movie takes place five years earlier, Jolie is like, like mid two thousands. Jolie mm-hmm. is probably cast in this role. Like if this actually takes place in the era they're they're kind of picking, of like of two thousand three, Jolie probably gets cast in this role. Mm-hmm. And I think even just a ninety five version of her would also get cast in this role too. Is that what we're going with Angelina Jolie? That's cool. I like it. Let's and do Mel it. and Mel Gibson. <laughs> um. Okay. Okay. Hey, but here's the thing: '90s Mel would have been really fun in this role. I think. Yeah, '95. What do you do in '95? Lethal Weapon Four. Was I don't know if Four was that year. I thought that was late '90s. That was '98. I was like, mm-hmm. it's Ransom that year. Not, yeah, Ransom's '96. Give me back my son. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's see. Oh, Braveheart. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mel Gibson up to in 1995. Braveheart and Pocahontas. So. Just a little movie called Braveheart. You may have heard of it. So yeah, basically he gets to he's a nice the nice like he gets he just did Braveheart. He's like I'm a little tired. I'm gonna do Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, reunite with my buddy George, and then I go off and do Conspiracy Theory in '97. Um, God, what an interesting career in the mid '90s for for Mel Gibson. 
ransom conspiracy theory maverick payback oh 95 was also quick in the dead sharon stone would have been uh i saw she i thought about sharon stone too with like casino era sharon Mm -hmm. stone sharon stone or jolie go let's pick i still think jolie i still think jolie yeah okay okay jolie okay we're good on that one all right next question uh does this film fit with any other genres I mean, it is we, we, we've continued to talk about, you know, to draw the line between dystopian and post-apocalyptic. And this one is definitely like post-apocalyptic. It's and, the subgenre. Dy- yeah. Yeah. yeah it's and dystopian. dystopian. Yeah. 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 For sure. And then like I don't know, car chase movies. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, when watching it, I was I was like, God, we gave this B movie action film six Oscars. <laughs> Hell it, deserved yeah. the, it deserved all those technical Oscars, though. Honestly. I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah. But I was just like, wow, I can't believe the Academy actually did it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was shocked it was nominated for some of the stuff it was nominated for. It's mind blowing. And like, and it should have won for Best Picture. Let's see. What was what was that year? I didn't ask this earlier. Spotlight. That was Spotlight year, right? Was it Spotlight? I have, I have a memory coming back of being in the apartment that you <laughs> guys are Spotlight. recording in right now. <laughs> <laughs> It was Spotlight. It was Spotlight. Well, I remember I te- after Spotlight, I remember I texted y'all uh, in the group text. And I, was, I watched Spotlight. It was like an early screening. I go, Spotlight's one of the best picture. And Hunter was like, no way. It's not going to. And then he got pissed when like it did. He was like, I, just, I, wa- I wanted to hate it because Brandon said it was going to win, but I kind of liked it. <laughs> um, but no, I still think Mad Max should have won. But yeah, uh, yeah, I just I, I was surprised. I was like, because because another thing I didn't add was that like it had a very, I think Miller like did the frame rate very very like uh like short like it was like twelve frame like, I can't remember what it was but like not twenty four frames per second to speed up it so it has this like, kind of mm-hmm. like cartoonish style during action fights but well, like it feels it, very it, silent movie too yes like yes movie. and so like when watching I was like can't believe this one like it can't believe this one to me awards because it's it feels so different than what what Oscars would give um but yeah car chase movie I guess like. On the run movie. On the run, I gotta say, on the run, on the run would definitely fit. Road movie, yeah. Road movie, yeah, yeah. Road movie for sure. Um, y'all go with that. And then, how does this film fit within the dystopian genre? I think, I think that you know something we talked about a lot about, kind of within the dystopian genre, is like the power structure. Like you've got to set up like some sort of power structure, and I and I think that's something it does really well here. And and like we said, they don't give you a whole they don't spell a lot of things out for you but they do talk about it later it, it does kind of function nicely the way that they're explaining kind of Morton joe's power to the to the many mothers um so, you know just this idea that like whoever controls the resources these different yeah. settlements have grown up around these resources and so there's the guy who has all the water and he is the god of the of the water area and there's the guy that has all the gas and he's he is the the god king of the of the gasoline and, and, and this guy has all the weapons so he's yeah. he controls that yeah and i i love yeah i think the way he kind of obviously like we said becomes this religious figure as well as a political figure and and, and has all these people brainwashed into thinking into believing in some sort of afterlife that revolves around him it's a, yeah it's, it's a wild dystopian future to to see go down and it is one of the most kind of outlandish uh, presentations. And like you said, they don't spend a lot of time kind of finger wagging about how we got mm. there, but it's all there. It's all in, you know, yeah, the global warming and the nuclear war and all of it is, is kind of in the bones of it all. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, I think it's it's one of the most kind of unique visions of of a dystopia, uh, and and definitely pr- the most fun of, of anything yeah. within this genre. Yeah, <laughs> David, your thoughts, especially after watching Waterworld, which has very has some similarities between this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, building off that, the world building. I mean, like we said with Waterworld, it's like every single detail of this world was thought out. Yeah, um, and it's mostly for the vast majority of it is delivered visually. So mm-hmm. like you get to, the fun of it is kind of like you piecing together. Okay, so why are they using that piece of technology, etc.? Like you, like you can build the story that led to this world. You know, and that's kind of the yeah. fun of the movie, in my opinion. Well, because yeah, like you and, have and the, dystopian genre in, in general. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like, all the all the different like steering wheels are like built up all these different parts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's talking about Waterworld, it's like the cast kind of, like building out weapons of certain different things. Like this is what kind of what it is. Is that they it's things that are left over they found. Um, they've turned something. Yeah, I mean, like I said, thematically, it's it's not as in the forefront. I think just the opening, like kind of like narration that plays over the beginning of like the different news reports and stuff, kind of throws you into that world of like, okay, we're here because of this. And mm-hmm. one thing I love too is again, even with all this, is that like if you look at from 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 Mad Max one to now, is that is that Miller has each film is like the world's gotten more dystopian and more barren and more more of a wasteland as time has gone on while mm-hmm. like, this is not exactly connected to the previous max movies it's like because he's kind of saying it is and isn't because tom hardy's gonna be a different max than gibson is i think visually he's still play where it's connection it's connected from one two three and, and now this one is the thing mm-hmm. um so yeah and then final genre questions are there any movies that we didn't cover this month that y'all wanted to shout out real quick i did i did want to shout out we we kind of briefly discussed the idea of maybe doing idiocracy just for something a little bit lighter this month but um yeah that is a that is a really fun one and 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 it's one of those that's become you know that was kind of so underrated that now it's become kind of overrated online where it's like anytime somebody's like i just watched idiocracy and it wow it's like we're living through it right now it's like yeah no that's (laughs) that's the point that's the point of the movie it's a social (laughs) satire um but it it is a it is a really fun one and and one of the only really i think successful kind of dystopian comedies i could i could think of when we especially at the beginning of the month when we were doing children of men and i was like this is just hitting way too hard this is hitting home like way too hard for me right now but um (laughs) yeah you want some laughs in there (laughs) laughs in there with this um i was gonna shout out uh tarkovsky stalker which doesn't necessarily have the the visual scope and grandeur of all the movies that we've discussed but it has thematically the grandeur you know it really makes you think um and it you know explores a lot of similar ideas of kind of what do we do in this in this after world what's left of, of the world right and, mm-hmm. they, and they don't really have a society to look forward to i mean they're, they're barely scraping by so it's just a fascinating film very thematically rich um philosophically interesting and yeah. uh the counterpoint to a lot of the the more like uh big big scale movies that, that we watched this month yeah i mean i would throw out like 12 monkeys i think 12 monkeys is really good and we talked about la Chate on the, the patreon so just to give 12 monkeys some some love um Snowpiercer is one I would probably say mm-hmm. as well. That's really good uh, from Bong Joon Ho. Just a really, really great cast, great world that that's built out. Um, I w- I was kind of floored by it when I watched it a few years ago. I think during COVID. Um, there's a lot, lot, of, lot of good stuff in this genre, and kind of a lot of different, just like variations of like dystopian stuff. Like, would you consider Thomas uh, Never Let Me Go as like dystopian? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, I think so. Yeah, yeah um, I really love that movie. Yeah, that's a very different dystopian type story. Mm-hmm. Is the thing. Um, I mean, a lot of yeah, great films. Yeah, because we 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 covered that a little bit with seconds, but yeah, that just the the idea and, and and I mean, we talked about kind of the George Orwell influences, but yeah, mm-hmm. the the kind of dystopian movies that are just like this so-and-so technology just like completely yeah. changed just the power structure of, of the world. And, and yeah, I think, I think never yeah. let me go fits into that for sure. Yeah. And then what did y'all learn this? Uh, what did y'all learn this month from like kind of looking at this genre and this kind of big chunk or small chunk really? I think as far as the world building goes, how kind of both detailed, but also simplistic it can be like, you can't, you know, everybody, I feel like every one that we've done, it all boils down to like one thing that went wrong. And like, then you can take that and you can snowball it into what it, what it became, but it's all like how this person came into power or this, this one thing happened. Or like, I think children of men is a great example where it's like, this is everything that happened just because people are infertile, like, and all the rest of it, you know, we, we can talk about immigration. We can talk about global warming. We can talk about, uh, fascist governments but but it's all got it there's got to be like one catalyst that you you have Mm. to get it kind of narrowed down to yeah david i think my bias going into the month is that i i assumed that this that the dystopian genre was a better fit for literature but after seeing all these movies in like quick succession it it really is a great way like you can do some very visual stories within this within within these worlds within this this Mm -hmm. uh, genre and so i was kind of that was kind of a surprise for me um, just how many, like, how many, like, when did you think about it, how many dystopian movies there are and how many successful dystopian movies there are. And again, how they can reflect like a potential future of, or, or point out some sort of flaw in our current society that if we yeah. keep feeding it, we're going to end up in, in, in one of these situations. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was my big thing is like the idea. And maybe I'm, maybe I just, I don't watch enough sci-fi films. Anyone who's listening to this, who does is like, that's stupid Brandon. You should have known this. It's like, is that a lot of these dystopian movies are used as like warnings and the, the kind of these like strong thematic elements, like you're saying about warnings of global warming and climate change or warnings of consumption uh, with like water world in the way um, and how it can lead to, to certain things. Um, but I also think one big thing too was the idea, which I, I, we didn't, I mentioned of, of, how this fits into the seven genre for Mad Max, but like the idea that even these darker movies, for the most part, there's some form of hope that that is is small, but there in the end of hope for a new side. Again, kind of saying with us, it's like this is a warning of what it could be, but there's always a chance to right the wrong is the hope, except seconds, which is a little bit darker, um, um, which is still, I think that's also there if he thought differently. But yeah, I, I didn't realize how thematically strong this genre was, how it's just a warning, but also kind of the idea of hope, even in the darkest of movies that we, that we watched this month, at least. Um, there's always some form of hope there. So yeah, that's it on this episode of Mad Max Fury Row. That's it for the dystopian month. Next month, we're doing something a little different in terms of genre. Uh, Thomas, what are we doing? Because you picked this next genre. Uh, yeah, we're doing this is something I've been pushing for for a while now. And uh, Brandon made me build out the list to, to prove that it could be done. But um, it's <laughs> been a it's been a kind of a favorite subgenre of mine for a long time. It's a kind of a subgenre of the fish out of water movie. But this is specifically like smuck stuck in a small town movies. Mm-hmm. So I, I always tell people when I'm pitching this, it's like Doc Hollywood is like the 
the the the, the OG. It's the the yeah. template. But um, yeah, the, just this idea of of an outsider coming to a town and having to spend time there and kind of the exploring the local color and whatnot. And uh, yeah. it's been interesting digging into it because there's comedies, there's dramas, there's horror. So um, it'll it, it should be a fun month. Yeah, there's uh, there's sci-fi, there's crime, like there's a lot of variety um within this and also the idea of like what is a small town is another thing that we'll probably talk about depending on what movies we pick next next month but yeah a lot of unique and different films that we haven't discussed which ones we're going to do yeah i have some ideas so stay tuned for that i think there's one that i know thomas is definitely picking no matter what is your yes. local, local hero your local hero that's that gonna be on there okay um, oh for sure it's like yeah. one of my favorite movies of all time <laughs> so yeah so yeah stay tuned for that um be sure to uh, if you haven't joined our patreon do so uh we have exclusive content on there certain episodes you have the one dollar five dollar and ten dollar tiers uh thomas i did la jete this this month and then david and i were doing what which one we're doing david georgia marauder presents metropolis yeah which i've never seen different cut of metropolis yet yeah it's a very different i've never seen it so i'm intrigued to see it and we'll be doing that um so listen to that if you can um yeah that's all we have for this episode if you have any questions for us feel free to contact us at sinationpodcast at gmail.com send us your questions comments and if you're a new listener to the show or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us be sure to subscribe to Nation Podcast so you can stay updated on our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts Spotify Google Podcasts or wherever your podcasts and if you haven't already be sure to write us review your preferred podcast platform witness us to the to the people of, of Apple Podcasts and you'll arrive yeah. at the gates of Valhalla shiny and chrome you can't top that we can't top that. Uh, and finally, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Sorry, X, uh, Instagram, Letterbox, <laughs> TikTok, whatever. It's well, I'm going I'm to do it every time because I'm I was just gonna like, say, there's, eventually there's going to be a time. Still, where it's you still like Twitter.com. Yeah, it, it is. But if you also do X.com, it goes to it goes to the same oh, thing. Okay. It's, it's, I thought it was I thought it's X formerly known as Twitter. That's right. It's X when it's Twitter. It's the Prince. It's Prince. Ours when it's Prince type thing. Um, but yeah, Letterbox, TikTok, all that stuff. David and Thomas, thank you for joining me on this trio episode. Thanks for having us. Thank you, man. And thank you all for listening. We hope to listen to more episodes soon. Bye.